Hello, everyone. It's, I just stand, each service I've just stood here and kind of absorbed the moment. And we've been gone for a couple months and it's been a summer. And I'm gonna leave it at that. Ray will be back and give you more information in a couple weeks. But uh, it's been a summer and some of you may not even remember me. My name is Mary. And uh, maybe I haven't met you before. My name is Mary Armstrong, and I serve on staff here at Calvary. If you're online, thank you for joining us. And I am married to our lead pastor, Ray Armstrong. And uh, we have been here 34 years. And so that's why I take a moment and take a breath, because there is no place like home. There is no place like this body of believers. And I say that from the depths of our, my heart, and it's always a joy to be with you guys and see all your lovely faces and so many people that have walked with Ray and I through so much of life. And so it's a joy to be family. And we're glad that, uh, I'm glad I'm here and we're glad you're here. I ran into someone and said they had been gone all summer too. So it didn't make me feel so bad. I thought, okay. How many guys are back for the first time since summer started? Oh, not very many of you. Okay. You are the faithful ones that stayed through summer. That's good. Um, it's a joy to be here, like I said. I think uh, this summer we're ending the parables and we're getting to the, to the last parable we're gonna focus on this summer, the Storyteller series, parables of, parables of Jesus. And so I have the privilege of sharing that with you. Ray was supposed to be here to share this message um, and he has, and he wants me to extend this to you to ask you to continue to pray for his mom. Um, she fell and her scooter, you know those big scooters that, that you ride around in when you have difficulty walking. It fell on top of her. Yeah, it was very tragic and she broke her femur up by her hip and they've had to put a pin in and she had surgery. And it's been a, it's been, it's been a journey for her uh, and for Ray and for the family. And so she is home now uh, with limited mobility. She's 85. And so it's been a turn in the road for us. And so Ray, Ray said as I walked out the door this morning, one, please let everyone know that I miss them. I'll be back. Continue to pray for his mom and for him. So thank you for doing that. Okay, so we're gonna get into storytelling, right? You know, there's those story, you're, you're telling a story, like fish t- stories, you know? I caught a fish and it was that big. Any fishermen out there? Do you know a good fish story, right? Um, <clears throat> Fish stories. We're going to tell stories, though, that, that Jesus told, parables. Storytelling has an incredible way of being able to paint a picture, right? But a really good story helps us get immersed into it. Now, I thought of this when I thought of being immersed in a story. I thought back to when I and Ray, Ray and I just first got married, and then we had our first child. And you know how little kids are? You read them a story before you put them to sleep, put them to bed. And so I was pretty tired of the same old story, same old book. And so I said, I have an idea. Let me tell you a story. And I began to tell Stacy Lynn, our oldest, a story about a princess who prayed for a prince. And I went on and, and she knew by the time before I ever mentioned Ray that I was talking about her daddy, right? She knew that I was building this beautiful picture because I used his traits and his character. And then I said the prince came in and she like, okay, I know I'm immersed in this story. And then I talked about our love and how we wanted and prayed for a little girl. And then I began to describe her. And next thing I know, she knew that she was coming, right? And so then I mentioned her. And, 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 you know, the funny thing that happened is the next night, you know what she said? 
tell me that story. And I was like, oh, okay, something's different here. She got to be part of the story. She got to be immersed. I told that story till my youngest was two, right? So three more kids, two more kids later, same story. I had as much joy in it as they did because I got to bring them into the picture of what we were as a family, of our love for one another. And I tell you that story because I believe, as we're sitting here today, that God wants to do the same for us. He wants us to become immersed into this parable because he wants us to realize how important we are to the family and that he has a love for you as we took communion that surpasses what you could ever understand. A depth of love that makes it that if we can grab hold of that intangible truth, we can do more than what we could ever think or imagine. And that's what this parable is about. Um, as we prep for the parable, we're going to read, uh, it's called The Sower. And I, I changed the name, and it's not by me, theologians. There's been other theologians that have changed the name of this to The Hearers. But you would be more familiar with this parable if you knew it as The Sower. And this parable is actually... Um, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're gonna read about it in Luke. But as we get ready to read it, and we're gonna stand and read the passage, but before we do, we always need to give a little bit of context to a story, right? So this particular parable was written and given to the crowd when Jesus was drawing multitudes. Now, when we're gonna immerse ourselves in the story, when you think of a crowd, what comes to mind? What's the biggest crowd you've been part of? What's the biggest crowd? Maybe, maybe a stadium where it was full of a concert type crowd. This crowd was people from every single city in the region. This crowd that Jesus was drawing was so big that in Matthew and Mark, he had to go out on the lake and give the parable from the lake because he, the crowd was pressing in on him. So it was a big number of people. And with, at the same time, what was happening was that there was opposition building. He was getting ready to give his life for us as we just took communion. The opposition was building. And so there was a lot of different people in this crowd. There were a lot of different reasons that people had shown up to hear and to see and be part of whatever he was doing. And with that... Jesus begins to speak this parable because it's, it prompted this question of how are the people responding to the good news of the kingdom of God that is there, here, here today, but not quite yet? How do the people, how are they responding? What's this crowd doing with this message? And so Jesus responds to that by giving this parable. So you guys can stand with me. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and hopefully you're already turned to Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 8. And we're going to read through 15, but we're going to break it up in different parts. We're going to start with 8, 4 through 8. And again, try to immerse yourself, your holy imagination. Let's immerse ourselves into the text. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up, and it choked the plants. 
Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. Now that part of the parable would have been a jaw dropper for all of the listeners or the hearers because they were used to a seven to tenfold increase. And here's Jesus telling this story about something they could really relate to, something of earthly tangibility they understood and he's comparing it to a kingdom principle or the kingdom of God. And he says a hundredfold. And let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you today because your word produces fruit beyond our imagination. It produces fruit in our lives that we can't comprehend the impact, the freedom, the joy, the peace. And so as your message goes out today, let us as hearers be able to grab what you have for each of us individually. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys, you can be seated. When we read text, we always keep it in context first. And so there's a couple things, not to bore you, but a couple things we need to get straight before we start into what the parable means and how Jesus interpreted it. And one is that farming back then was different than farming today. Okay, obviously, but there was two things that we really want to acknowledge that the listeners of Jesus's day would have seen it quite differently than we see it. Whenever the farmer would go out and sow their seed in Jesus's day, the ground wasn't like they had tractors and they toiled the soil and they pulled it up and they had these beautiful rows, right? Wasn't like that in Jesus's day. The farmer would go out to his piece of land and he would throw the seed, and he would walk down the path and he would throw the seed, okay? And he would throw the seed and he knew that his property, the soil, had different types of terrain to it. He didn't expect that all of that seed was gonna produce fruit. But what is also different than today is that he knew, or she, well, he knew that anything that sprang up would have been divine. It would have been from God. Now, we today, we look at farming and we think of this story. We think, well, yeah, there's different soil. There's different things. If I water it, if I tend it, if I make sure the rocks are out of it, I'm going to get something. It's become very scientific to some degree, right? Cause and effect. But that's not how they thought. When they read this, when they heard this parable, they knew that farming was a divine act. Whatever fruit was produced would be a blessing from God, would be because of his hand in it. And because of that, there were celebrations. The farmers sowed from October to December. The harvest came in in about spring in May, and then they had a big party. And they brought the first fruits. They called it Shavat. And they brought all the first fruits and they gave it back to God because they said, thank you, God, for what you have blessed us with. Hear that heart posture, right? What's interesting, and I really don't know if this has anything to do with the parable, but I found it interesting, is that after Jesus died, he told his disciples, he said, listen, when I go away, I'm gonna send the, this, a comforter, right? And he told that they wouldn't be left as or orphans. The day of Pentecost, what happened? The Holy Spirit descended, right? And they 
were empowered to go and do things that they weren't able to do before, speak the gospel message without fear and in boldness. And then internally, they had fruits of the spirit. They could love better. They had peace. They had joy, faithfulness, goodness, perseverance. Did you know that Shavuot is known by Christian believers as the Feast of Pentecost? Because there's a reaping going on and they're connected. This parable aligns with that. And that's where we start. That's the context of what this parable is about. And so Jesus is gonna talk. Now he's told the parable, right? We just read it. Now he's retreating from the crowd and he's with the disciples. And we're gonna read Luke 8, 9 through 15. His disciples asked him, what does this parable mean? <laughs> Maybe you've done that on a weekend message. What are they saying? Maybe you do that this morning. What is she saying, right? Have you ever felt like that? You've heard or you read a passage in scripture and you go, wait, wait, wait. I gotta read that again because I don't think I get it. So the disciples were like, okay, what did that parable mean? And Jesus said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you, but to others I speak in parables. And this is why. So that, and he's quoting from Isaiah and he's emphasizing this is the time, but not yet. And he says, though seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. So the first point is this. Jesus, like the farmer, he has the crowd there, holy imagination. Can you see it? He's there, he's out on the boat, he's in the lake, he's speaking the, the message, and he's Tossing the word. He's throwing the word at the hearers, the crowd. And he's throwing the word out. Now, we need to make note that the Jesus or the spirit today and the word of God, it's the same to everyone, right? He was saying the same truth to everyone. Second point is, while the, the spirit, Jesus, and the word of God is the same to all of us, the difference is the soil representing the hearers and their heart condition receiving Jesus' words. So in the parable, the difference is you and I as hearers, as we come in here on a weekend, our heart condition dictates how we're gonna receive God's word. So, Jesus describes the first hearer. Are you ready? Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts. Why? So that they may not believe and be saved. Hearer number one, Jesus is clearly telling his disciples, there's some people in this crowd, they're gonna hear my words, and there's no real regard for it. There's no regard for the divinity there's no regard for the divine. There's no regard. They're gonna just walk over it. Falls on the ground, they trample over it, they walk over it, and that leaves room for the enemy just to sweep in there and take the truth away from them, right? That doesn't happen today. <laughs> Maybe you can relate at one point. We all can relate, right? We can't judge someone else. We can all relate. Someone comes into church and they come because they're asked to come. 
they come because there's something cool going on there and they have great music, man. They have this stuff happen on the platform and it feels, it feels really good to be there. But they're just part of the hearers that they sit there and, they, and there's no real regard for the divinity. And then the enemy goes and steals the truth. How's that make your heart feel? It's pretty quiet in here. I think you feel it, don't you? See, the truth is being spoken and it may not be a big deal to them, but all of us are feeling that it's a big deal. Why? Because we don't want someone to live in bondage. Because we want life for people, right? There's a divine disruption, and Pastor Taylor used that word, and I love it, divine disruption in our lives when we hear it because the spirit is within us. But that's not necessarily every hearer's heart condition. Something I really want to make note of, and, I, and you know, um, we kind of downplay this, but Jesus mentioned it in the parable. So do we think it's important to mention it? If he mentions it, he said, the bird is like the devil who sweeps in and steals the truth. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. Anybody have read that book? Lift your hand really high if you've read it. Screwtape Letters. Okay, I've done this every service and the majority of people have never read it. Order it on Amazon and read it. It's a, it's a fiction novel. It's a Christian apologetic um, book that addresses... You guys ready? Theological issues that are truths of God's word where the enemy wants to come in and he, one being who Satan is. And as you read it, you're gonna all of a sudden identify some things in your own life that you thought, oh, I've never equated that to the enemy coming in and testing. So there's a, there's a quote and I wanna read it to you. So the junior tempter is called Wormwood. The senior who's mentoring his nephew, the uncle, is called Screwtape. And this is what he writes in the book. C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia, awesome author. He grabs you, pulls you in. Thanks to processes we set in them centuries ago, they find it all but impossible to believe in the unfamiliar, the untangible, the divine, while the familiar, the tangible, the things of this world is before their eyes. <laughs> you know, the devious. Keep pressing home on here, number one. It says on him. The ordinariness of things. Don't let him get away from that invaluable life, real life. Like there's no other life but what we see. Give him a grand idea that he knows it all. It's awful quiet in here. Devious. The word talks about who the enemy is. Jesus warns us in 10.10, John 10.10, the thief comes to, you guys know the passage, steal, kill, and destroy. What? Our very life with God and anything else he can do to keep us enslaved to the things of the world. But the other half of that verse says, so contrasting, Jesus says, the enemy does that, but I have come that they might have life and have it to the full, a hundredfold. 
is the intangible, the beyond my imagination, that my marriage, no matter what the world says, one out of 10 failed, man, I'll just see if I succeed. And God says, no, in me, in the kingdom principles lived out in our lives, you can have a hundredfold, not a hundred wives, a hundredfold, hundredfold. More than you can imagine, you'll have blessings. So the contrast is important, and we want to mention that the enemy is alive and he works. And how does it happen? From the moment we are born, from the moment you are born, we're part of a fallen world. From the moment we are born, we begin to define ourselves by the things that are tangible. Well, if, if I succeed at this, I'm, I'm a successful. If I don't see, succeed at things, then I'm a failure. See the tangible? If this, then that. And it's all because we see it. But what God says to us is, I'm the God of the unseen, of the impossible. But Satan comes in and he lies to us and he starts when we're children. And we form belief systems. If you guys are out there and agree with me, shake your head because you're awful quiet. I'm hoping you, okay. Um, we form belief systems about ourselves based on what we see. I never am good at grades. Have you ever said that? I'm lousy at school. I'm not smart because I didn't get in straight A's, a 4.0. God says, I created you for things that are beyond your imagination. It has nothing to do with your grades. But we get stuck in the tangible, and that's how our belief systems about ourselves are formed. And divine disruptions causes tension between what is seen and what is unseen. What's intangible and what's tangible. Who you think you are and who God says you are. And the enemy wants to keep us right there in the scene. Because that's where he keeps us enslaved. And that's here number one. Now, here number two. Are you ready? Luke 8, 13. Those on the, now we're looking at the crowd. We're looking at our church service. We're looking at the congregation and the word goes out and the spirit is here. And the second hearer says, those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy. They take communion and it stirs their soul. When they hear it, when they participate in worship and they attend services, they have joy. They can feel it. It ignites their emotions. Here's the sad part, but there's no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. In the time of testing, they fall away. You know, when you have a weed that grows up in, rocky, in a rocky rock bed, you pull it out of your yard. It's so easy. Just pull it out, right? If it gets into the grass, though, it's a little bit harder. Here are one. That's what happens. It grows up dandelions. My little grandkids pick them and give them to me as bouquets but they're just a weed. What happens is that our lives, here are one, here's the truth, but because there's no roots, when testing happens, they just say, I'm out. When the marriage gets hard and the world says, just leave, they say, I'm out. When the job says, you don't need it to be a person of integrity, it's okay if you lie about that. We go, okay, and we get pulled away. 
And what that's doing is that testing is testing our roots. Where's our faith? What do we believe? Let's be honest, you guys, everybody in the room, I have fallen. I have at times said, I'm out. Can I be honest and say that to you? Can you be honest with me and say you have too? It can be hard to believe God is good and tangible when everything in our life seemingly is awful. Is that true? Okay, I promise we're gonna get better. It's not gonna be too much of a downer, you guys. <laughs> There's a good part coming. It can be hard to trust God's gonna provide when our bills have piled up and they're 30 days late, right? When our world is chaotic and it's a mess and, and whether it's internally or externally and everything's going crazy, it's hard to seek God's peace when it's easier to grab a glass of wine. So you can medicate the pain, the turmoil, the chaos. So these are moments of testing. Will I believe what God's word says or will I say, forget it, I'm out? I remember uh, early in our ministry, some things, and I remember coming to service and sitting on the front row and I didn't see it as a testing. I saw it as life just is, I won't use the word, but I'm, I'm done. I'm out. I told God that. I'm out. And I sat on the front row. And now here's how the root system changes. I had a friend who came up and she literally just got down right in front of me on the ground. She knelt and she looked at me and she said, are you okay? And of course, I do what every Christian does. And I say, I'm fine. Thank you. <laughs> and she looked at me. She said, she's since gone to be with Jesus. She said, you're not fine. Don't give me that. Don't lie to me. And I looked at her, and that's all it took. I said, I'm done. I want out. I don't want to do this anymore. And she, she wrapped her arms around me, and she helped me not make that choice to leave. And in that moment, my roots got a little deeper because she reminded me of where Hero 4 lives. And maybe that's what you need. Then there are other times where we have crisis of faith. Have you ever had a crisis of faith? Crisis of faith is when all of a sudden everything around you collapsed and you think, is God even here? Is God really real? Does prayer really work? Now, those crisis of faith moments are harder than testing because you're faced with a why in the road. You're gonna choose one direction or the other. And when our crisis of faith comes and we don't have a root system, we're gonna, it's, it's too hard. We're going to leave. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. The thing we need to know, everyone in this room, is that testing and crisis, crisis of faith, they're going to happen our whole journey. If someone tells you being a Christian is a bed of roses and it gets better, just ask Jesus in your heart, they're lying to you. Now, I'm not being a downer. I'm just being a realist. And I will tell you, though, there is great joy in serving God. There is great joy in knowing that I can have peace that the world doesn't understand. But if I don't think, and if I'm not prepared for the next time that something's gonna come my way, like this summer, then I could say, forget it, I'm out. Crisis of faiths are divine moments where God intersects our lives. Where we wait long enough, he's gonna show up. Okay, here number three. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. 
So we're sitting here in this room. Here, number one says, I'm out. I don't even understand this Christian thing. I don't know what this word thing's about. It doesn't mean anything to me. And the enemy steals the truth and they leave. My life is fine. I don't need God. Then you have here, number two, and they're in a time of testing and their roots aren't deep enough. And what do they say? I'm out. It's too hard for me. And we've all been there. Now we have here number three, and you know what they have? They have one foot in the kingdom and one foot on earth. They're straddling the fence. Anyone out there? Here number three (coughs) doesn't fall away, but they never grow up. Now what's that mean, grow up? There's nothing fun about watching an adult have a temper tantrum, is there? And I never do that. Of course not. I can say that because Ray's not here to go, what? (laughs) The maturity that we're talking about here is not like we physically see. You know what it is? The maturity that God is talking about is where we produce enough fruit that he gets glorified in what we say and do. That's the maturing. That I can love when I don't want to love. That I can be like Jesus when I feel like being like me, apart from Jesus, right? So the here number three gets distracted by the things of the external forces, the riches, the culture that says it's important to be on social media 24-7 so I can feel good about myself, right? The culture of the homes in which we were raised. Can I say that? The external forces come against that hearer that begins to say, wait a second, at work I'm supposed to do this and be this, but God's word contradicts that. Now I'm gonna make a choice. And those that choose the world over the heavenly ways to live never produce the fruit that God wants in our lives. And remember, that's an abundant life. The riches of this world are not to compare to the riches of heaven. And I haven't told this story, and I'm looking at our time, and I think I can squeeze it in. When that season I told you about where I was going to quit, and I was actually going to go back to California. Ray and I had been here two years. And I, I'm out. I'm done. I'm out. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I sold our home. We did the, I'm, I'm out. Well, when we persevere... God, um, God heard me, and I ended up the abundant. He heard me. She intervened. I dug in and said, "God, I'll do whatever you want." I, this sucks. Pardon my language. I don't really want to be here, but I'll stay if that's where we're supposed to be. And you know, then the abundance hit. We ended up at Four Seasons because his dad paid for it in Canada, and we showed up at the door, the little register thing, right? Ray and I weren't used to lists. And they said, hey, we upgraded your room. And out of his mouth, he said, do I have to pay for it? (laughs) I thought that too. No, we don't. Dad's paying for this. He'll kill us. We got to keep it in a budget. And he's, they said, no, 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 it's just available. And you know where they upgraded us to? The presidential suite on the top floor. It was bigger than the house we left. Matter of fact, eventually, two days into it, I said, Ray, he's downstairs. There's two staircases down in the living room watching TV. I said, let's shut the bottom part off. I can't find you in this place. See, that's a hundredfold. That's more than we could imagine. 
And the third hearer never gets there. The third hearer stays in this immature place where God cannot pour his blessings that way out upon them. The testing is where we grow the most. Have you ever had worry and anxiety? Yeah, I think we all have. <laughs> Sweetheart, you were shaking your head. It's hard, isn't it? Yeah, it's hard to, to be worried and anxious. And that's where we grow our faith is when we learn to put our roots into what here number four. The word flips our value system. Here number four is this one. Are you ready? Luke 8, 15. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a pure and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. So what sets the heart of the hearer number four apart from the other three? Well, let's just grab it real quick. He receives the word. It's thrown out the same. But when they get the word, they retain it. They hold on to it. They keep possession of it. They absorb it. Can you relate? Be still and know that I'm God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Thou, O Lord, art a shield about me, lifter of my head. We hold on to the word. They don't just hold on to the word. Here's the next part. And they persevere. I love the definition of perseverance. To continue in a course of action. Okay, got that. Even in the face of difficulty. And here's the big part. Or with little or no prospect of success. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me but my marriage is falling apart. But I'm gonna hold on to the promise that God can do all things. The things I don't understand or see, I'm gonna hold on to it and I'm gonna persevere. And then there's one more step for a person that does that. Remember, testings come, crisis moments come, crisis of faith, and the hero number four grabs the word and says, I'm gonna press through and I'm not letting up until this happens. By persevering, produce a crop. Jesus said earlier, a hundredfold. hundredfold. Where are you today? What kind of hearer are you? How, what kind of hearer am I? When I was studying and I had a divine disruption, you know what I got out of the story? In the spirit, I'm a seed thrower. Guess what? I have no, I have no ability to fix someone's heart. Well, I want that seed to go into every single heart because I know what God has done for me. I know I shouldn't be on this platform. I know I should be on the street. I know what God's, apart from God, what he's done in my life. I know the hundredfold crop I'm living. And I want it for every person in this room. Pastor Daniel, Pastor Ray, Pastor Taylor, the worship team, the people who serve here. You in this congregation, your friends and your family, we want a hundredfold. 
but we have no, no condition. We have no control over how people hear the message. And that's a great relief because I can let go of that. Some of you need to let go of trying to get your friends because you want it so bad for them or your family members. And all you do is just keep throwing seed. You're not responsible for the condition of their hearts. We are responsible for what we do with the word of God. So we're gonna have a, just a minute of reflection here. And we're gonna put the hearers up on the screen. And what we want you to do right now is just take a moment and get quiet between you and the spirit. And where are you? What kind of hearer are you? What's the condition of your heart today? And just sit in that for a moment. And don't be afraid to be honest. Because we're all, I've done them all. So let's just take a few, few, few minutes, few seconds. One of the things that we as a team have felt today is the last thing we want to do is not have an environment where someone can walk out of here and not respond to what God has done this tonight, today, in your heart, in my heart. And so I want to preface this by saying at some point we'll all be standing. But it's going to cost you maybe to be the first to stand. And we're gonna pray and you're not gonna move, we're not, we promise. What you're doing when you acknowledge some of the questions I'm gonna ask is, it's between you and the Spirit. It's you're the hearer and it's how you're responding to what God and the Spirit is speaking to you today. So the question, the first one is, are you or can you relate to hearer number one? Are you hearer number two? I'm sorry, are you hearer number two? Have you felt like walking away from it all because this church thing isn't for you? Maybe your marriage, a job, a trauma you can't overcome. You've tried the Jesus thing and maybe you've decided it's, it's not for me. I can't do this anymore. I'm, I'm done. The divine disruption this morning is, do you, you risk moving out of that position by standing up and saying, I need the prayer for my family. And if that's you, we wanna encourage you to stand right where you're seated. Just stand where you're at if there's anyone. God bless you. God bless you guys. There was someone online last night that, that was a hearer number two. And so if you're online, we're gonna follow up with you too. Are you here number three? Do you have one foot in relationship with Jesus and one foot in the world? Do you attend church, but the disciplines and practices of the way of Jesus are kind of sidelined? And worry, anxiety, internal forces are choking out the word. If that sounds like you, would you risk standing right now? 
Some of you guys started standing before I ever finished. Oh, God bless you. God is going to intervene in this moment and start a new work. I, we believe it. We've been praying for you. I've been there. You can't quit. Hear me? You can't quit because right the next day might be the God moment. We're going to pray for the God moment. Are you here, number one? Maybe you ended up here today and you're like, I was feeling a commitment, but all of a sudden, Mary, I feel like the Spirit is saying, maybe, maybe there's something to believe. Maybe there's something to this and maybe I'm living a lie and I'm confused now. And if that's you, would you stand up, please? You're here, number one. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you. What risk? Oh, my word. The enemy's not stealing from you today. Are you here, number four? Here, number four is moved right now in this room. Perseverance has developed a belief system that says I'm in no matter what comes my way. It says I'm practicing the way of Jesus. Even if I fail, I'll get back up. Even when I fail, I'll get back up. I want my life to be a light for Christ in good times and in bad. And if that's you, would you please stand? And as you stand, if there's someone next to you already standing, just put your hand on their shoulder lightly because we're gonna pray as a family. If there's no one next to you, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna extend our hands out, just like that, because there's someone around us. And by extending our hand, it's a way of saying, I acknowledge you. I acknowledge, and we're a family, and we're gonna pray Jesus into this situation. We're gonna pray Jesus' peace into this situation. Father, right now, today we speak Jesus' name over all of these people, over every heart and every mind. Let your presence fill each life. Holy Spirit, wrap your arms around each person and let their faith become a bit stronger today. Break down the strongholds, Father, of anxiety and fear and pride and power. And in Jesus' name, we ask that you help us develop strong roots that go deep into your word and that we could grow up and mature in you, that we could become your light in this valley, that your name would penetrate our souls and our families. God, it's not impossible. Let us be people of the impossible. Set our minds and our hearts on the intangible things of God because you want to be glorified, not because we want to be praised. You want to be glorified in this world. You love your people. Let us see divine encounters where you intersect our lives through the power of your spirit. Let the intangible become tangible and help us believe when we cannot believe. We see and we persevere, Father, through the testing that's coming our way, and we will not give up. And we ask this all, and we're thankful for this family, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to do something now. We're gonna sing a song, and this song is we're speaking Jesus. And here's what I'd like, and we haven't done this any service, but I feel it today, right now. If you believe in the power of the name of Jesus, then let's proclaim it. 
Don't let the enemy steal it from any one of your family members in this room. And the power of us uniting around the name of Jesus and proclaiming truth, it rattles, it rattles and sets chains, people free from chains. And we walk out here experiencing God. So let's do it.